Grace, mercy, and peace to yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, usually I love this time of year. I'm not saying I don't love it. Let me start that over. I love this time of year and especially in years past because it's that crazy time of between Christmas and New Year's where anything goes. You get to wear sweatpants. You don't care what day it is. But honestly, it kind of feels like a lot of this year has been like that. So I'm going to press on and say, you know what doesn't seem the same? Being a new parent. And this year I got to be a new parent. Now, I know that I have an 11-year-old. But when there is at least a decade between the birth of a child, you forget everything. So I feel like a new parent. And as I looked at our text today, I resonated with it in a very different way. I wonder if Mary and Joseph were about halfway to the temple before they said, hey, we forgot the mask. Go back. We got to get the mask. Put those masks on and then go. I wonder just how it was. But that's what we love about being a new parent and all the new things that come with it. Really being a parent of any age. No matter what happens, no matter what is going on, we rejoice and we love our children. And because we love our children, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to raise our children and to provide for them and to do the right thing. Pick the right stroller, the right swaddling technique, eventually to pick the right school, the right college, the right music to play so that their brain develops properly. Now, whether you're a parent or not, we all know those feelings that come with the expectation of needing to get it right. Feelings that extend into the workplace, into everyday life, into our relationships. How do you know what is right? How do you know what is right for you in the moment, in the decisions that you make each day? How do we handle the pressure that comes with the need to get everything right? And I wonder what kind of expectations and pressure of getting it right Mary and Joseph felt as they were the ones with the responsibility of raising up the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, if you remember, they weren't given a lot of handouts. They didn't get a new house when the angel came and visited, nor did they get a parenting handbook. They were just told three main things, the name, what he would do, and who he was. The name, his name was to be Jesus. What he'll do, he'll save his people from their sins. Who he is, the child of the Most High, he is God himself. And those information, all of that came before he was born. And when he's born, suddenly there's a bunch of shepherds there worshiping. They're talking about angels singing. They're talking about glory and peace and favor. And to me, I think the pressure starts to rise a lot to get it right. And so when our text comes today, we pick up and conclude Jesus' infancy narrative where it all began at the temple. And it starts with having to wait for the purification rites to be finished. And then they have to offer the sacrifice for the consecration of the firstborn. Now you may be asking yourself, self, what are those rites? What is the sacrifice? Well, the purification rites included that after seven days, on the eighth day, the child needed to be baptized. Then following that, the mother then had to wait 33 more days before she could go to the temple, which puts the baby at 40 days, which I thought was kind of cool because 40 is a familiar number in the Bible. So at 40 days, they go to the temple, and Mary and Joseph, they offer the sacrifice. They offer either a pair of doves or two young pigeons, and they offer the pair of doves or pigeons, and all this shows us is that Joseph and Mary were a poor couple and not very well off. Otherwise, they would have offered the sacrifice of a lamb and the pigeon and dove. 
So let's add that to their ever-growing list of hoping to meet the expectations and getting it right of raising the Son of God. Now, as they're at the temple, we meet Simeon. And the text tells us that Simeon was a righteous and devout man. That is high praise as far as biblical descriptions go. And there are two things I want to draw your attention to here that I found really interesting. One is that Simeon is waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is what was promised in Isaiah, right? We just read that in our Old Testament text. God is speaking comfort to the people in the coming Messiah. So what we find is Simeon waiting. He's waiting on a promise from God. He's not going out and making it happen. But God has promised something to him, and so he is waiting. The second we see is that the Holy Spirit is revealing and guiding Simeon. Revealing to him that he would not see death until he saw with his own eyes the Lord's Messiah and guiding him right where to be. Simeon shows us two fantastic examples of how to be righteous and devout. We need to expect God to deliver on his promises. And we need to be open to his spirit guiding us through his word. See, the Holy Spirit is still at work and is in our lives today, revealing God's promises to us in his word and guiding us to follow Jesus and share his love. More than that even interceding for us in prayer and working through us to do the good that God himself has prepared. Now, when Simeon sees the Christ child, he picks him up in his arm, addresses God as sovereign Lord, just like Abraham addressed God way back in the Old Testament in Genesis 15. And when Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me? I don't have a child. But Simeon holds the child, the promise declares that he can now meet the Lord in peace because he has seen, has known that the Savior has come, this Savior who will be a light to the Gentiles and the very glory of Israel. That same light that Isaiah told us shines in the darkness and will bring all people to him, the glory, because here in his arms is the promised King, the Holy One. The parents marvel at this point. Now, I'm guessing that they have probably three thoughts going on in the back of their minds as they are marveling marveling at all of this. The first is that one that all new parents feel, the feeling of pride and glory, knowing that their special baby is very special and is the most important child in the entire world. The second, I bet they have this overwhelming mix now of expectations continuing to rise. All this responsibility that is coming and having to be done perfectly as they raise this child. The third, I think, is that feeling that you get with like, are we ever going to be able to leave the house without something crazy like this happening? Someone crumbing our child and talking about it. Did he even wash his hands? We don't know the text doesn't say. But we do hear the text go on to say, and Simeon says, this child is destined to cause the rise and fall of many. Hearts will be revealed. A sword will pierce Mary's own soul. Many will put their trust in him and be saved, but many he will become a stumbling block to. That crushing stone that Luke will quote when Jesus tells the parable in the vineyard a little bit later, to all those who can't get past their own pride, to those who do not want to believe in the Christ child. 
And lastly, Simeon talked that Jesus' ministry will be one of suffering and death. That a sword will pierce hearts as they see their sin, as deeds are brought into the light, and that this ministry will be personal. Personal for each and every one of us. Now, maybe when he talks about Mary, he's talking about how she will watch her son die on the cross. But maybe he's also speaking to each one of us who will share in the Lord's suffering and the following of Jesus bearing our cross, who will also share in the Lord's death. And you better believe, share in his resurrection. Then we meet Anna, who's a prophetess. Now, I had to do a lot of digging about this. Now, she comes from the tribe of Asher, and that's the last tribe to be blessed by Moses of the 12 tribes in Deuteronomy chapter 33. Now, that's kind of cool to me because we really only get to hear about Benjamin and Judah in the historical books of the Old Testament. But after the Babylonian captivity, all the tribes return home. So I think it's especially interesting to see her mentioned as a member of that tribe. It's also cool to remember the importance of numbers. Remember we talked about 40 days? Check out the 84 there. 12 times 7, 12 tribes, the number for perfection and complete. All Jews and all people, the Old Testament, rejoice in this Savior just as Anna did. That's why she's going around giving thanks, telling everyone about the temple who will listen to this child. Come and see this child. I bet there was a lot of joy in that moment. And then more than likely, I think the expectations of Mary and Joseph were felt a little bit later, and they were high to quite high. Because it's always all good in that moment of joy with everyone rejoicing and the prophesying. But when Mary and Joseph go home, they're the ones with the responsibility. And I think in that moment, in the return home, there's this big turning point for them and also for us. Because you see, in the big, in the grand, right, the Lord has now come. And we need to prepare our hearts for this light of this world, the one who will raise us up in the end, the one we give thanks to and rejoice in and put our hope in. But in the in-between, from his birth until his return is life. It's that return to home as we go back to our home, back to work, back to our educations, back to this new year and these normal weeks and all of these choices that we have. And we're left with a big one. Do we want to live under the expectations that we create and that we perceive for ourselves? Or do we want to live under the calling that we have been given and we receive as we go into this new year? Now, I know there doesn't seem to be much of a difference between the two because we put our expectations very highly on ourselves. And the calling that we have received from the Lord is also very high. But to me, there's this huge difference between living under expectations and living under the calling. A life lived under expectations is one that is lived in fear and anxiousness, where we are constantly chasing and measuring and finding that it's never quite good enough or finished completely. The finish line is always moving just a little bit further out of reach. It's like you have a to-do list that you can't even celebrate because when you cross something else off, two more get added to it. And too often we're seeking this life. We let that type of thinking motivate us because at times 
we find it's very successful. And at times it makes sense. And at times we see the people around us having success, especially the ones that we see and read about doing that and speaking that this is the way of life you need to pursue. So we start chasing that dream, living in comparison and never being content, but always insatiable. It leads us to look around at all the competition out there. And it's very hard to be happy for others when they succeed if you're in competition with them. So the other way of life, the one that we saw Simeon do, I think is the right one. Simeon didn't put expectations on himself, but the expectations he had were the ones that came from the promises of God. Simeon was living under the calling that God had given him. A life that is lived under that calling is one that we received in gratitude and in hope and in wonder. See, when we live under the calling of God, the one that he has given us, it's his promises that we pursue, not false expectations. It's his way of life that we're chasing. We don't need to worry about what we're going to do. We do what he himself has given us to do. And as his children, we don't have to wonder, are we good enough to do this? He's equipped each and every one of us uniquely to live out the calling he has given us. That allows us to have hope. That allows us to find peace, not fear or anxiety in all times. Now, hear me, it doesn't mean that fear and anxiety is somehow magically removed. It just means that on account of the grace and strength that the Lord himself will give us, we can have peace and hope even in the midst of those times. See, with the Lord, every day is a gift. Not chasing a dream that's ever-changing and unfulfilling, but rather we live in the day that He has made and we rejoice and be glad in it. For He has plans for me today. And He will be with me and guide me by His Spirit today. Living under His calling allows me to start with God and then get to myself. And there's rest in that, peace in that. As the competition seems to fade away and instead what is left is this quiet walk with the Lord with eyes open to the wonder at what he has in store for us today. Allows us when we get to work to know that this is exactly where I am supposed to to be. I can watch as God will use me. I get there and I can have a conversation with a coworker who turns out to be hurting or struggling and I don't need to rush. Instead, I can stop and pray with them because I know that the Lord has brought me there. Not to suffer some inconvenience as I listen about their troubles, but to be his voice and pressure. And if they're not open to prayer, then to just pray for them instead of with them. It allows me to then sit down with my kid when we do homework, right? Homework is a struggle and it is tough. But when we get to do it together, have we not accomplished something that could have just been this throwaway moment, this get it done and that way we don't have to think about it anymore. Instead, I get to sit down, sit with my child to put them first, to help in kindness and gentleness as we work through it as long as it's not pre-calc. Quietly pray, Lord, this is a moment that you have given me. And if we can't be with someone right now, we pick up the phone and get to talk with them. 
We may think, well, maybe I don't want to bother them. They're probably busy. They don't want to hear from me. Nah, push past that and be the presence and the voice and the family that we need to be for one another in these times. And when we find ourselves alone facing something that is beyond us, bigger than us, it is no longer a dragon or some Goliath that we can't beat. Pick up our hands, we fold them and pray, Lord, deliver me from this as well. And we go onward and upward for whatever comes our way. When we're living under the calling of God, that comes with the blessing and the being equipped to do what he has given us to do. Therefore, fear is removed and in its place, love. The responsibility The task, that doesn't go away. But the way we go about it can. So friends, let us live under his calling. And let us let his mercy and grace fill our hearts this year.